Well, let me uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 for our time of study in, in the Word this morning. And uh, the title of the message this morning is Counsel for Women on Father's Day. <laughs> and the subtitle is It's Only Fair, Ladies. Uh, on Mother's Day, I preach to the men on behalf of women. Today, I will preach to the women on behalf of men. I want to thank the men for their support. I've had an overwhelming uh, expressions of support from men saying they're praying for me. I had a guy come in today in the first service and say, I'm looking forward to the message today. And I said, well, don't you know I'm preaching to women? And he said, yeah, I know that. Um, so thanks for all your support, guys. Um, but my hope is that in talking to the ladies today, that I will, um, that'll be a Father's Day gift to the men, and that men, that maybe you'll find your hearts being spoken for as the wives are being um, challenged from God's Word and encouraged from God's Word. Um, I do want to alert you men to the fact that most of what I'll say will be to the ladies, but um, there will be uh, some things that I'm going to want to say to you, but I'll try to make sure to wake you up um, at those points. Um, ladies, um, I know that many of you that are mothers and wives are overwhelmed with your task. It's probably a rare day that you reach the end of your day and feel like you've accomplished everything that should have been accomplished and that you feel that you did it all well. Um, so that's the frustration. Man, there's so much I didn't get accomplished and what I did get accomplished, did I do it as well as I should have? And, and, and therefore, the role of a wife and a mother can often be overwhelming. Maybe you actually feel like uh, the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon strip where... He says, God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I am so far behind that I will never die. <laughs> and maybe you feel like that uh, because it can be overwhelming. Those of you that are single, you can probably hear this kind of stuff and you can say, yeah, I think I get it, but you don't get it. The role of a wife and of a mother uh, is extraordinarily complex and demanding uh, every single day. Uh, in fact, just to, to highlight this, uh, Richard Baxter was a, a Puritan writer who, and pastor who lived back in the 1600s. And he was a voluminous writer. He wrote this four-volume Christian directory, which is just a... Pastors still use it today for, as a counseling resource because like almost every imaginable situation that a pastor might encounter um, in counseling or whatever is covered uh, in this Christian directory. But one of the sections that's found in this Christian directory is considerations preliminary to marriage. And it's his counsel to men and women that are thinking about getting married and he says, before you get married, I want you to consider these 20 considerations. All of the 20 considerations are designed specifically to talk men and women out of getting married. And his goal in doing that is, um, is this. His thinking is, if I can talk you out of getting married, then you should not get married. 
But if I can talk you out of getting married with these reasonings and considerations, then maybe you should be getting married. But there's 20 of them. For those that are going into the ministry, he has 24. Um, But you want me to read some of these to you? Okay. Um, Here's one of them. The business of a married state commonly devours almost all of your time. So that little is left for holy contemplations or serious thoughts of the life to come. Oh, that single persons knew the preciousness of their leisure and how free they are to attend the service of God and learn his word in comparison to the married. Here's another one. In marriage, there is such a meeting of faults and imperfections on both sides that makes it much harder to bear the infirmities of the other rightly. If only one party were forward and impatient, the steadfastness of the other might make it the more tolerable. But we are all sick in some measure of the same disease. And when weakness meets with weakness and pride with pride and passion with passion, it exasperates the disease and doubles the suffering. And our corruption is such that though our intent is to be a help to one another in our duties, yet we are more apt to stir up one another's distempers. Amen? Okay. (laughs) This is specifically to women. Women especially must expect so much suffering within marriage that if God had not put into them a natural inclination to it, the world would be at an end through their refusal of so calamitous a life. (laughs) Their sickness in childbearing, their pain in childbirth, with the danger of their lives, the tedious trouble night and day that they have with the children and caring for them. Besides their subjection to their husbands and continual care of family affairs, being forced to consume their lives in a multitude of low and troublesome businesses, all this and much more would have utterly deterred women from marriage if nature itself had not inclined them to do it. (laughs) And how about this? Um, We're not going to go through all 20 today, but... This is, this is pretty heavy. Consider the abundance of affliction that comes in the straying of children when you have done your best. After all your pains and care and labor, you find that the foolishness of some and the obstinacy of others and the unthankfulness of those that you have loved best should even pierce your hearts. And I know that as I read uh, some of these wives and mothers in this room are like, man, that is... I had my wife read it, and she was like, this is so true. Um, And this is your experience in a number of ways. There's great blessing in marriage. By the way, Richard Baxter was a happily married man, at least until his wife read these things. Um, (laughs) There's great blessing in marriage, great blessing in the duties that are involved there, but it's difficult. It's challenging. That's why Paul said those that get married are going to have trouble in this life. And so in this, this sick world where you've got sin inside of you and inside of your husband and inside of your children and all of that is intersecting you know, with one another, in the midst of all of that, you've got responsibilities. You've got roles to play. And there's much to do. 
And so how can you get it done and how can you do it well? That's the, basically the issue that we're going to be addressing today. I want to give to you from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, five priorities that will help you to serve well in your role as a wife and as a mother. Five things that you need to say, I'm going to make these of utmost priority. Now, just real quick, this section of 1 Timothy Paul is teaching about deacons and deaconesses and he's giving qualifications. And in verse eight, he says deacons. And by the way, these are office holders who have an office of service in the church. Deacons must be beginning in verse eight. He lists the things that deacons must be. Then in verse 11, he says women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, temperate, faithful in all things. He then comes back to some more requirements for deacons. And you ask, why is Paul listing off all of these things? Look at verse 13 for there's the grammatical connection there for or because those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. He's saying the reason that deacons uh, and deaconesses need to evidence these qualities and make them priorities is because they're essential to serving well. Paul's saying, I want you guys to do these things I'm listing here because if you do, you will serve well in your role as deacons and deaconesses. What I want to do today is this. I want to make a logical leap, and that is that if these qualities are essential to serving effectively, to serving well as deacons and deaconesses, then I would also imagine that these qualities are necessary and effective in helping one to serve well in whatever other role they have in their life. And so as we hone in on verse 11, as we're focusing on women today, uh, I want us to look at five priorities in just this verse that I think Paul would say to mothers and wives that if you make a priority of these things, you will serve well. I want you to serve well. I want you to experience the blessing that comes from serving well in your roles. And these qualities are an essential ingredient to that actually happening. And so let me read through verse 11 again. Women must likewise be dignified. That's priority number one. Number two, malicious or not malicious gossips. Number three, temperate. And number four, we're going to split this into two. The word faithful in all things, that expression could be translated believing in all things or faithful in all things. And we're going to split that in two. And make number four, believing in all things. And number five, being faithful and trustworthy in all things. If you want to serve well, I know you ladies want to be a good wife. You want to be a good mother. You want to serve well in these roles. And so these priorities um, are actually extremely valuable to that end. All right. So let's let's begin to break this down. Priority number one, make it a priority to be worthy of respect. If you yourself want to serve well in your role as a wife and as a mother and as a woman of God, make it a priority to be worthy of respect. He says women must likewise be dignified, which, by the way, is the same thing he says to men in verse eight. 
Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. It's the same word uh, there. And so Paul is saying, ladies, if you want to serve well as deaconesses, if you want to serve well as wives, if you want to serve well as mothers, as a woman of God, then first thing, you must make it a priority to be worthy of respect. Make decisions, speak and behave in a way that makes you worthy of respect. Now, the idea here is not that you don't get respect unless you earn it. That's not what he's teaching. In fact, the teaching of the Bible is that you should get respect coming to you as a woman, as a wife and a mother, whether you're acting like you deserve it or not. To children, God says in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother. To husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, he says that we are to show our wives honor. So God speaks to all the people in your life and says, show that woman honor and respect. But when God speaks to you, ladies, he basically says you need to behave in such a way that makes you worthy of the respect that everyone in your life is commanded to give to you. It's not enough for you to go around and say to your husband, the Bible says to respect me or to say to your children, God commands you to respect me and you're disrespecting me. You've got to respect me. No, you don't walk around demanding that respect. No, the Bible says that you are to just behave in a way that makes you worthy of that respect that everyone, your husband and your children are supposed to give you. Now, that might seem like a strange thing. I don't think any of us would have thought that in a list that we're going to make of what a woman needs to do to have effective ministry and to serve well, the first thing is she needs to be worthy of respect. I don't think any of us would have thought of that. But you need to understand that there's genius at work here. Uh, The respect that you get for yourself is not an end in itself. The reason you want to be respected and to behave worthy of respect is because you've got something to say. Because you represent something that you want your husband and your children to respect. And they won't give those things the respect that those things deserve if you yourself are not worthy of respect. In Titus chapter 2, I mean, write this reference down. In verse 4 and following, he tells the older women, encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their husbands. Why? So that the word... Of God will not be dishonored or disrespected. What he's saying is, ladies, that if you if you don't choose to live in a certain way, not only will you not be respected, but God's word will not be respected. You take a woman, for example, that is trying to speak truth to her children that should be respected, but she has been behaving in a way before her children in a way that they have no respect for her. And then she's speaking truth that should be respected. Is that truth going to get respected the way that it should be? Often not. So you want to be respected because you've got something to say. You represent something that you want to be respected. And you know it's not going to get the respect it deserves if you yourself are not behaving worthily of the respect that God wants you to have. You know, you think of the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where the angels come and they tell Lot that this, these cities are going to be destroyed. You better get out of town fast or you're going to be destroyed with it and get your family out. All of you guys need to leave. 
And we learn in Genesis 19:14 that Lot goes to his family and he says, "Up." In other words, "Get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city." Those are good words, right? Those are absolutely true words. That's good counsel that's being given. However, look at how his family respects what he says. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Lot had been living a compromised life and he had no respect. And so here he is trying to say something very true for once. And everyone thinks he's joking. That's why it's important that we live the kind of lives that generate respect, that show that we're worthy of respect, so that when we speak, the words we speak, as we speak of God, as we speak of the gospel, that those words will be respected because we are respected. You think of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. It says, a woman of valor. In other words, a woman of strength who can find for her worth is far above jewels. That's respect. She is of great value. She's highly perceived. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength, makes herself strong. Strength and dignity are her clothing. You know what? She behaves in a way that is worthy of respect and she gets that respect from her husband and children. Look at this. Verse 28, her children rise up They rise up out of respect and they bless her. Her husband also, he praises her. And this woman doesn't walk around just kind of as an end in itself saying, man, I got all this respect and all of this praise. No, she's after something even greater. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, who respects the Lord, fearing the Lord, she will be praised. This woman wants to be respected Because she wants to speak of God. She represents Him who is worthy of the utmost worship and respect. And if she's not respected, then she can say whatever she wants about God. And it's not going to be viewed with the respect that it should be. Peter is giving women an incredible path to power here. You want your words, your desires, you want what you represent to be respected, you yourself need to be worthy of respect and make that a priority. Look how much power you can have. 1 Peter 3, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without even a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You will have enormous power. Your words will be respected. And sometimes you won't even need to speak words. Just the desire, the unspoken desire in your heart will be respected. Now, this is a priority. And I know that all of you ladies would say, well, yeah, I want to be respected. Who doesn't want to be respected? But in all honesty, maybe it's not a priority in your life to behave in a way that's worthy of respect. And maybe your attitude is, well, I, I'll do that one of these days once my husband gets fixed and my children get fixed and all these things get fixed in my life that make me so unhappy right now and act out the way that I do. No, God would say, listen, if you want to serve well in whatever station you're at right now, whatever your circumstances, fundamentally make it a priority to live, speak, and behave in a way that makes you worthy of respect. Now you say, well, how do I do that? 
Well, that's the rest of what he says is basically an explanation of that. So a second priority as we continue through the verse is make it a priority to guard your tongue. Make it a priority to guard your tongue. He says in verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips. Now, the New American Standard says malicious gossips. That's a decent translation, but I don't know if it captures the full idea. Gossip is talking about someone behind their back, saying stuff to people who are not a part of the problem nor a part of the solution. Um, And certainly this word includes that, but it's bigger than that. Uh, One of the translations says not malicious talkers. And I like that because that includes everything. Ladies, if you want to serve well in your role that God has given you as a wife and as a mother, you must guard your tongue and not be a malicious user of words, a malicious talker. By the way, literally in the Greek text, it says women must likewise be dignified, not diabolos. What English word do we get from diabolos? Devil. Okay? You can't be a devil if you want to serve well. This word diabolos, though, has to do with the tongue. Literally, it's a compound word. Dia, which means through, and balos, which is from the verb balo, that means to cast or to throw. And it just speaks of a, of a reckless and a hurtful and a malicious throwing of words that pierce and cut and accuse. So a diabolos woman is a woman who's a malicious talker, who is careless with her words, who is roughshod with her words, who is a piercing talker, just cutting to shreds maybe her husband or her children when she is disposed to behave in this way. And Paul would say, ladies, when you do this, you're not just venting. You're actually surrendering your tongue to the devil. You're allowing your tongue to be possessed, as it were, by the devil. In fact, if you want to make it real simple, let's just say it this way. Paul is saying, ladies, never let your tongue be put into the service of the devil. And any time you are speaking with the intent to vent and to cut and to destroy and to hurt, what you are doing is you're letting your tongue be used in the service of the devil. I think all of us, men and women, would do well to... Contemplate the power of the tongue. Let me just read to you from James 3. James says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I mean, this small member of our body is full of poison. It's a restless evil. And he says it's set on fire by hell. Um, And the literal picture that he's painting is if you allow your tongue 
to be used in a malicious way, whether it be gossip behind someone's back or lashing out to someone's face, you are literally spreading the flames of hell on this planet. The flames of hell are leaping out through your tongue and landing on your husband and your children and others that you might speak to or about. And I know you don't want this, ladies, to have children growing up with burning words that still burn. I mean, even in my counseling ministry, I've had to deal sometimes with adult people who still have words burning that were spoken to them many years earlier by a parent. Look at that, verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Right here is a match from our fireplace. Small flame. But certain times of the year, I can go to certain locations and just drop this somewhere and destroy hundreds of thousands of acres. Just with this. Not today, though. But something this small. So don't be deceived by the size of your tongue. Understand that it can do enormous damage that actually can pass down from generation to generation. James goes on to say that with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth often comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. I mean, imagine, mom, that, you know, one moment you're you're saying all sorts of stuff and a moment of anger and an hour later you're trying to speak truth to your children that they desperately need to hear that you want to be respected. Your children are like, wait a minute, an hour ago she was saying this and, and now she's saying this. It ought not to be this way. Now, I know that every woman would say, yeah, I mean, I, who, what woman would not want to be um, guarding her tongue. What woman wants to be a malicious talker? No woman wants to be this, just as no man wants to be this, but often find themselves being this in moments of anger, disappointment, fear, or rage. Solomon says in Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Realize the power of the tongue to, to give death, it can kill or it can actually give life. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, it says she opens her mouth. It's interesting, as you read Proverbs 31 of the virtuous woman, she doesn't say anything. And as you're reading through it, it's like, does this woman even talk? But you finally get to verse 26, and the woman opens her mouth. And it's beautiful. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her lips. That is the woman who is worth much. That is the woman who will be praised by her husband. This woman's children will rise up out of respect. They will listen to her and praise her, expressing that respect. You want to serve well as a wife, as a mother, as a woman of God. Make it a priority to be worthy of respect and also make it a priority to guard your tongue Thirdly, make it a priority to be temperate. Make it a priority to be temperate. Paul wants you to serve well, ladies. And in the mind of Paul, as an inspired writer of Scripture, being temperate is a critical element of this. 
He says, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious talkers, but temperate, temperate. And this word uh, temperate has the literal idea of being temperate in the use of alcohol. So, in other words, don't be getting drunk, ladies. If you want to serve well as a wife and as a mother, don't be getting drunk. Uh, But the word goes beyond that to speak of someone that is clear-headed, self-controlled, balanced, not given to extremes. It speaks of someone who is in control rather than out of control. Paul is saying, ladies, if you want to serve well, make it a priority to be in control rather than out of control. Now, again, you look at this and go, well, duh, what woman doesn't want to be this? But the unfortunate thing is, and I think we've all seen this, that girls, for example, since I'm talking to women, girls can learn early in their life that they can get what they want by being intemperate. That they can get their way by being out of control. And they learn that early on. And man, they, maybe they have their dad wrapped around their finger and they just start fussing and fuming and throwing a temper tantrum. And, and parents or the dad will just cater to them because they want peace. And how can we calm her down? So let's give her what she wants. And, and a girl like that can grow up and learn. She can read the Bible and say, yeah, I'm supposed to be temperate. But then when she wants something or doesn't get her way, she's learned that by being the opposite of that, she can often get what she wants. Dads, let me speak to you. Wake up, men. Um, If your daughter does this, love your daughter enough and love her future husband enough to never give in to her when she acts out in this way. I mean that with utmost uh, sincerity. For me, with my own daughters, I, I, I'm already thinking every day about their future husbands and I'm already trying to love their husbands. And I'll, I'll tell my daughters, you're acting this way and whenever you act this way, you will never get what you want and you will always lose something that you already had. You always lose. My oldest daughter is like, her record is zero and 150. It's been a loss every time for her. And I tell her, listen, I love your future husband too much to cater to this. I don't want you to get married and then your husband drop you off on my doorstep six months into the marriage saying, you're not finished. (laughs) And even in the marriage relationship that... A woman can learn. I can, I can act out in this way. And by the way, my daughters have learned. They've learned that lesson over the years. And it's been a beautiful thing to, to behold that you express your opinion, you express disagreement or whatever your concerns are, but you do so in a way that's respectful. And I'm loving them and teaching them that and also loving their future husband. But in the marriage relationship, it's a woman can learn that by being intemperate, I can get something that I want. And even though you got what you wanted immediately, you lost respect. And you've lost something very precious. And you've just doomed yourself to 
basically to this kind of life. You've just taught your husband to only listen to you when you're out of control. You don't want to do that to yourself. You want to behave in a way to where when you speak in control, in a respectable way, that you are heard. You know, Solomon had how many wives? 700 wives. So he kind of knew something about this and he talks uh, often about the contentious, out-of-control woman. He says in Proverbs 21:19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. It's like, I'd rather be out in the desert with scorpions than with a contentious woman. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. I mean, being on the corner of a rooftop, that's not a comfortable place to, to be. But Solomon's saying, I would rather be there than down in that house with that contentious woman. Proverbs 27.15, he says, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. And... At the very least, he's talking about the steady drip, drip, drip of rain on a rainy day. And he says that's what it's like to be with a contentious woman. And then look at this. This woman's out of control. Verse 16. He who would restrain her restrains the wind. And he's grasping oil with his right hand. You can't get in control of a woman like this. Don't want to offend anybody, but uh, in the interest of fairness, I want to mention that in Proverbs 27:15, it says a constant dripping. And uh, many commentators understand that as a constant dripping of water, like on a rooftop that maybe is irritating. But other commentators suggest it could be a reference to, are you ready? Diarrhea. Okay? Totally serious. Listen to what this one writer says. Remembering the Eastern plainness of speech... Continual dropping may refer to a bad case of diarrhea. All right? Hang with me here. All right? Back in this day, an average person, when he had to go, he went outdoors to go. If it's raining outside, miserable experience. So imagine inside having diarrhea. You are having to repeatedly go outside in the rain in order to go. That's, that's a really bad day. That's a miserable experience. And it could be that Solomon is saying, that's what it's like to live with a contentious woman. And ladies, I know you don't want to be this. I mean, that's, that's horrifying. But often, we can, we can in our weaker moments say, I really want what I want and I'm going to act out of control. I'll be contentious. I'll make life miserable for my husband and my children until I get what I want. And often, here's what I've observed in, in counseling, that often what a woman wants is good. She's concerned about something and she's got a legitimate beef, a legitimate gripe. Her concern is genuine. But she is going about it contentiously in a way that makes her husband and children want to flee from the home and live among scorpions rather than be around her. So uh, Paul says, ladies, I want you to serve well, effectively. I want you to just serve. I want you to serve effectively in your role. 
And you need to make a priority of being dignified, not malicious talkers. Make a priority of being temperate. And again, every woman would say, well, yeah, I, I, I should be temperate. But it's not really a priority. The higher priority is I've got to change my husband and, and I've got to change my children. I've got to change my circumstances. And, and once all of that stuff changes, then I'll work on being temperate. Paul says, regardless of your circumstances right now, you make a priority of being in control and temperate. You say, well, how in the world could I ever do this? Well, that leads to the fourth priority, and that is make it a priority to believe the truth in all things. Make it a priority to believe the truth in all things. He says, faithful in all things. And as I mentioned at the beginning, that word faithful could be translated believing. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, the qualifications for elders, it says elders need to have children who believe, right? Um, Other translations say children who are faithful. That's that same Greek word that could be understood as either believe or faithful. And so we're going to split this in two. And even if you understand it as faithful, that's fine, but... What's the first thing God calls us to if we're going to be faithful? A faithful person believes. That's like the first step. So I think we're justified in doing this. Make it a priority to be a believer of the truth in all things. If you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, put your trust in Him. You must be a believer if you're going to serve those in your life well. And then once you have believed in Jesus, the challenge is and the call is to continue believing Daily, in all things, in all of your circumstances, be a woman who pursues the truth, who studies the Word of God, so as to enrich your faith and to enrich the volume of the things that you are understanding and thus believing, and be a woman who is committed to believing the truth rather than letting yourself buy into lies. The very first marriage relationship featured a woman who believed the truth at the beginning, but then she was lied to by the serpent. She believed the lie and then went to her husband and said, take part in this and eat this. And he obeyed her. It was a woman who believed but did not continue believing the truth. And that contributed to plunging the human race into sin. You must be a believing woman. As we've talked about in recent weeks, you live at the foot of the cross. You fix your gaze upon that and you don't just say you believe it. You actually keep these realities in front of your face and then you think and you reason from the cross to whatever issues you're dealing with and you understand that if if God spared not His own Son for me but delivered Him up for me, how will He not also with Him freely give me everything that I need for life and godliness to be a wife and to be a mother? So... Uh, You live your life understanding that you are a blessed one of God. In fact, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, it says she senses that her gain is good. That's a perspective issue. He's not just saying her gain is good, but she senses that. She perceives, she looks at her station, she looks at her circumstances, and she says it's good. She's a contented woman. She believes that she is blessed. Regardless of her circumstances, verse 21, she's not afraid. Whatever it is in her life presently, she's not afraid of it. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. She's like, I don't even know what tomorrow holds, but I'm smiling at it because I know that though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow. 
And I know who holds me in the palm of his hand. Ladies, um, I want you to think this way. Imagine that this, this is a hymnal, but imagine this is your biography that's being written day by day. This is your story. You know what the title of it is? Blessed by God in Christ. That's the title of your biography. And so as you go throughout every day, as you look at your circumstances, even if you don't understand what God is doing, even if they don't make sense, even if there's pain in your life uh, that you're trying to figure out, you can always look at your circumstances and know that somehow it fits with this basic plot. I am blessed of God and God is doing something in me that will bring me blessing and bring me glory or bring Him glory forever. And then tomorrow, I don't know what tomorrow holds, the page is blank right now, but I know that God is writing it and it's in the book, Blessed of God, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That should be your mindset, believing the truth. And then lastly, make it a priority to be faithful in all things. Your responsibility as a woman is to be faithful in all things. Um, It's not necessarily your primary priority to make everyone else faithful in all things. Fundamentally, you must be faithful in all things. So you look at God's word. God, what do you expect of me? Whatever you call me to do, this is what I will do. And you are committed to being faithful. That's your priority. Even if your husband is not being faithful, even if your children are not being faithful, even if you're not being appreciated, if you're faithful, I mean, every day that you are being faithful, your husband and children aren't going to be saying, wow, you're being faithful. What an amazing woman you are. You're going to be faithful. And on many days, no one's ever going to notice. Many days, no one will appreciate it. It means that you make a priority of being faithful even if life isn't happening the way that you want it to happen. A woman who serves well as a wife and as a mother is faithful. We see this in Proverbs 31 also. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Has faith in her. Because she can be counted on to be faithful. When the husband is away from the home, he can count on her. To be faithful, not only to him, but faithful to do what it is that God calls her to do. I want to close with a, by reading an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon's biography. He was a preacher back in the 1800s and uh, some say maybe the greatest preacher in the history of the church. Uh, ministered to hundreds of thousands of people over the course of his lifetime, but Um, I've been reading through one of his biographies and in the section of the biography that I was reading recently was talking about his childhood, his upbringing, his parents and what his dad was like, what his mom was like. What kind of home did this guy, you know, come out of? And listen to Spurgeon as he talks about his dad talking about his mom. His dad talking about his own wife who was the mother of Spurgeon just as a man, this blesses me to read this. And ladies, just, just let this sink in. Spurgeon says, Well, do I remember hearing my father speak of an incident that greatly impressed him. He used to be away from home preaching, and at one time, as he was on his way to a service, 
He feared that he was neglecting his own family while caring for the souls of others. He therefore turned back and went to his home. I think most men can identify with that. There are times where we go off to work and we're like, man, there's so many things I didn't do and I've, I've been neglecting my wife, my kids. And, um, and sometimes you turn around and you go back home or other times it's like, I've got to go. I've got a meeting or whatever. But you just, it's, it's hard to leave when you know that you maybe have not been all that you should be. And on this occasion, Spurgeon's dad was on his way to minister to other people, but he was thinking all of this and feeling the guilt of all this. And he's like, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back home. So he turns around and heads back home. But look what happens. On arriving there, he was surprised to find no one in the lower rooms of the house. But on ascending the stairs, he heard a sound as of someone engaged in prayer. On listening at the bedroom door, he discovered that it was my mother pleading most earnestly for the salvation of all her children and specially praying for Charles, her firstborn and strong-willed son. My father felt he might safely go about his master's business while his dear wife was caring so well for the spiritual interests of the boys and girls at home, so he did not disturb her, but proceeded at once to fulfill his preaching engagement. I'm just imagining that, just listening his wife praying and his heart just being put at ease. It's like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. I think I can go. And he quietly leaves knowing he's got a faithful wife back home. Paul says, women, I, my desire for you, God's desire for you is that you serve well. To serve well, make these priorities to be worthy of respect, to guard your tongue and use it only for purposes of blessing, be in control rather than out of control, be believing the truth in all things, and be faithful. If you do that, you will serve well and obtain high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads. We're going to be taking up an offering in just a moment. And I would encourage you to give however the Lord leads you to give. And there's comment cards in your bulletin. We would encourage you to fill those out. Any prayer requests, praise items, uh, put those on the back of the comment cards so we can pray for those in our staff meeting on Tuesday. We can put those on the church family prayer sheet also. And you can put that in the offering bag as it goes by. Let's pray together. Lord, we just uh, come to you right now and we thank you for the blessing that is ours to have been saved by you. I pray for the women in this room right now, and I'm sure many of them can maybe, just as we as guys can, can look at ways that they have failed. And if they're feeling any ounce of guilt, Lord, I just pray that they would run to the cross and know that you are pleasured to forgive them and release them from that guilt. That 
You don't want them to walk in guilt but in grace and so lavish that grace upon them and lift them up with hope and with the promise of this passage that there is an ability to serve well, beautifully well, if they make these priorities with the help that you give them. May it be for them as for all of us that they reach judgment day and you look upon them and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Accept our offerings as we give them to you, Lord. With our money we give to you of ourselves. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.